Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card. Going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by a heavyweight uh, bout. Top contenders, not really. I mean, neither man is going to be in title contention off of this fight. Mm -hmm. Although both have rankings next to their name. Bout uh, between Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak. TOC Vegas 65. And um, we're here talking about the prelims right now with a featured prelim bout between Charles Johnson and Jalgas Zhumagulov. Strange choice. Yeah. Even, even of the fights already relegated to the prelims here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why not just go for, I mean. Why not Maya Moroz? Why why not Maya Moroz? And if you're just going to punish J- Jennifer Maya for being kind of boring, then why not at least like Ricky Tercios, Kevin Natividad, or Vince Morales, Miles Johns? Like, yeah. Tercios won the ultimate fighter, you know? Yeah. Isn't that supposed to have been a thing? <laughs> I like how even the matchmakers at this point, it is just Dana White's vanity project. It really Even is. Even the rest of the UFC doesn't care about the ultimate fighter. Like, if you can go through Contenders series, why would you ever go through yeah. the ultimate fighter? I know. Like, you get a 10 and 10 three fight contract off of Contenders series, or you get a 10 and 10 10 fight contract off of the ultimate fighter. Wow. Tough choice. Yeah. Don't know which one I'd like to renegotiate first. <laughs> Yeah, and, and well, well, you haven't considered the downside, which is that in Contender Series, you get to bring your own coaches and have a full camp. Yeah, oh, you know what? You're right. I didn't. <laughs> well, I think I think that really undersells just how uh, poor most fighters are. Where like, true, three weeks of hot meals and a roof over their head is like oh a major draw. That sounds overwhelmingly cynical, but probably also <laughs> probably true. That, that probably is a serious draw for many professional fighters. They're like, oh, shit. Free booze, too? Yes. I'm there. <laughs> kidding me? They have a hot tub? Right. Yeah. Um, they have a lawn, which is probably illegal in Las Vegas at this point. <laughs> but Dana White's allowed to have it. So it's um, actually just it, the, the the fighter's house is in Dana White's backyard, so you actually just have to. Part of it is doing his yard work, <laughs> tending to his lawn. <laughs> they shoot yeah. like the five minute video clips of the fighters hanging out at the pool. Immediately yeah. after which they shut everything down and force them all back into the house. <laughs> <laughs> Dana White with a cattle prod. Get back in. That is that actually the the ultimate fighter house is his shed. That's right. Yeah. That's that's his equivalent of a garden shed. <laughs> um. So yeah, strange booking. I mean, uh, I, I'm guessing they they have a guy like Charles Johnson and aren't entirely sure what to do with him. Yeah, they may uh, have well given him a slightly higher. You know, he might have come in on like 
15 and 15 or 20 and 20 mm -hmm. uh, for his salary since he was a uh, um, LFA champ, I believe, once, uh, wasn't it, when he got his... You, I believe he was, yes, yes. And um, often, you know, if you actually do come in with another belt from another organization, that is, you can get a little higher salary than your average signing. Sure, especially LFA. It is yep. like one of the UFC's actual feeder leagues. Yep, LFA, Cage Warriors. It also, um, though, I have seen noted over the years, people are like, oh, why is this person getting matched like this? Why are they getting these hard fights or why are they getting this card placement or that thing? If the UFC is paying you more, they will immediately like put the screws to you. Absolutely, yeah. They need a return on the investment, or they need to get whatever else they can out of you. Yeah. So that might be why this is the featured prelim here. It's just maybe, yeah. especially Zhumagulov too came in as the uh, Fight Nights Global flyweight flyweight champ when he entered the UFC, and mm -hmm. you know he's so he's probably also earning more than your standard entry-level UFC contract. Mm -hmm. Despite the difference in results, uh, or rather just the fact that Juma Golov has lost now like four or five yeah. UFC fights, I'm still going to pick him. Yeah, I don't like Charles Johnson's game. Absolutely not. I think he is a... He, he has all the telltale signs of a Will Brooks... Mm -hmm. This is a guy who is, is good enough not to just get blown out of the water by low-level regional fighters. He can work his way up to a regional title. And if if things fall correctly and he gets it, you will see him be, you know, like tough, uh, defensively aware mm -hmm. um, and extend his chances to do something to win the fight over five rounds. Yeah. He had a split decision with Yama Horiuchi mm -hmm. in which he – a good portion of that fight was just him getting chewed up with kicks, but he found a couple of big meaningful punches and won. And then he he had to extend Carlos Mota into the fifth round to finish him. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and otherwise, I mean, his, his fight between there as champion was against not a very good fighter. Um. And then he just came into the UFC and just, you know, Muhammad Mikhaev got to do whatever he wanted to him. Yeah. And we, we knew that that was going to come. Of course. Because yeah. Johnson has, you know, the big thing for him is that he tends to. He walks himself into the pocket without a lot of offense. Yeah. He doesn't tend to start his offense often until he's right in somebody right in front of somebody's face. Yeah. And to get there, you know, he, he will just stroll right in. And it's just like, okay, well, you're fighting Muhammad Mokayev. He's just going to wrestle you. Like, you are just giving him infinite opportunities to wrestle you. And even as a very difficult-to-out-wrestle fighter that Johnson proved to be, like, he stayed up. He posted well. He got back to his feet really well. Mm -hmm. There was nothing at all he could do to stop him to stop Mokaev from getting the same entries over and over again and controlling him the whole time. Yeah. And Jaga Shumagulov will do exactly that. He'll do some of it. He's a yeah. much, he, he's a much slower paced fighter than Johnson. Absolutely. I mean, but he is he, a strong wrestler. He is a strong wrestler. He suffers in some way. Like 
he suffers in some ways from the same thing as Johnson, really. Like, these are both quadruple-A fighters who you put them in five-round fights in regional organizations, and they shine. Like, they are there to fight a cautious, protective, considered bout over five rounds Mm -hmm. and not to push a difficult and dangerous pace for three. And the Jumagulov has had to, he has had to try to readjust to that every step of the way of his UFC run. And it has obviously been a big struggle. Yeah. But I think he's done more to adjust to that so far. And, um, you know, even if it didn't pay, if it hasn't paid total dividends, like that fight with Jeff Molina was a hard split decision. Mm Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was that as the better athlete, uh, Juma Gulov went out and tried to lead the pace against Molina. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't quite. Molina's a more nat- more naturally aggressive fighter who just knows how to fight at a UFC tempo better. But Juma Gulov came close. Mm-hmm. And Johnson does not appear to have that understanding. He yeah. doesn't seem to have much idea of how to sort of <clears throat> manage the pace or win rounds at all. Yeah, it's just a really slow pick my spots, yeah. take a few opportunities. You know, I saw like the stats from that Moda fight and it was just like, man, you are really lucky you won this. Mm hmm. And then Juma Gulag just has more options. I mean, yeah, he he has the wrestling. Um, good thing for him to be able to mix in, especially because when uh, Johnson isn't moseying into the pocket, he is getting backed up into the fence. Mm-hmm. Again, when when he's not like going out there trying to win, when he he is defensively aware. That is yeah. something I like about his style. That he doesn't just like let people tee off on him. He tries to check kicks. He tries to change angles. He, mm-hmm. he is looking for the openings his opponents are, are are hunting. Yeah, you're not usually you're not actually just going to you're not going to blitz Johnson out of a fight. Right. That Mokai fight made that as clear as could be that like yeah. even just going after him and you know wrestling him the whole time, Mokai had to fight him the whole way and had to press and. Yeah you know, tried to out-wrestle him the whole way. It was never just like, oh, okay, well, that was easy, and now now I can just coast on this success. Yeah, but the biggest thing I like about Juma Gulov, uh, what he has been trying to do is, uh, even more than just increasing his general output at range, yeah. which has gone up a bit, um, is being more aggressive in, like, transitional moments. Mm-hmm. Using those takedowns to then break and land a super hard hook and then sort of rinse and repeat the process. Um, yeah, breaking from exchanges or clinches on angles and landing a counter shot on the way out. Um, these little moments, I think, combined with the fact that, yeah, he just has more options of, of phases to press on Johnson and more options for Johnson to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll still be pretty close, quite close, but I'm going to take Jumagulov. Yeah. Yeah, I have more faith that Juma Gulov can can press the right kind of pace and just have more moments in. If I, I don't, you know, I don't expect either guy to get the finish, mm-hmm. 
Um, but I expect Johnson to look pretty defensive and like he's looking for his spots and get only a few of them. Mm-hmm. Odds on the bout. Johnson is the favorite here. Opened at minus 175, currently up at minus 165. Gulab opened at plus 150, currently down at plus 134. Yeah, I mean, I get that Gulab's lost a lot of fights in the UFC at this point, but mm-hmm. I think that they are all two better prepared opponents than Johnson. Mm-hmm. You know, Paiva, Albazi, Cop, and Molina... Um, they're, you know, more dynamic athletes, better school, higher tempo, and except in the case of Cop, but Cop is a top five kind of athlete. Yeah. And yeah, just super dangerous moment to moment in a way that yeah. Johnson is not. Johnson, he has a shade of that. Yeah. Again, that fight with Horiuchi, like he would have lost it if he didn't find a few big moments. Yeah. Um, But it, he also didn't like, he couldn't follow up and, and take Horiuchi out of there. He wasn't like, and Horiuchi was able to adapt every time. Yeah. Cop is uh, much more dangerous. Yeah. I will say he's, he is big for the division. So it could be, you know, there's mm-hmm. an opportunity for him to just lean on being a long fighter here sure. at flyweight, but I don't know. I need to see, I need to see something more decisive from him mm-hmm. than what I have seen so far. All right. That brings us to a woman's flyweight bout, Jennifer Maya, Marina Morose. And um, this is uh, as much as we've already mentioned, like four times how Jennifer Maya is kind of has a lot of boring fights. I'm quite mm-hmm. interested in this one. Yeah, this is, this should be a good fight. And mostly because it's, um, it's it's a rare fight for Maya where her opponent isn't necessarily busier than her, but is actually maybe just more technical. Yeah, and, and has the skills, the, the breadth of skills to sort of meet her everywhere she usually likes to take a fight. Yeah. With somebody who, like, the clinch is not a safe zone. Getting into a wrestling exchange is not a safe zone against Marina Moroz. She's, in yeah. fact, very comfortable there and very aggressive, actually, more so than she is at range. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Moroz, her career has been so yeah. snake bit and mm-hmm. slowed down. You know, this is somebody who uh, looked like a fun, you know, an interesting prospect when she got to the UFC back in 2015. Mm-hmm. and has had seven fights since mm-hmm. her first two in her debut year. And for, for like three or four of those, it looked like she had like completely lost her way. Yeah. She had like lost the ability to pull the trigger. She didn't really mm-hmm. seem to know how her game was supposed to function. Yeah, I think there was a lot of work that Morose has done over the years to become a better wrestler and grappler. Yep. And during that time, she took a lot of emphasis off of her boxing game. Yeah, absolutely heinous split decision she had with Danielle Taylor. Yeah. Just... <laughs> Thank God for Marina Moroz that, like, uh, Nama Yunus Esparza 2 happened. 
because yeah. <laughs> Morose Taylor was one of the worst women's MMA fights I've ever seen. Yeah. And but I think at this point she's gotten enough confidence in those other parts of her game that it feels like her boxing is back in strength mm-hmm. and has made her a pretty hard fighter to beat now. I, I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, the road has been rocky to get there and it has been really inconsistent with getting her to the cage and actually fighting. But the end result is a fighter who is very much in her prime at the right time. She's thir- she's only 31 mm-hmm. and she seems, you know, her her fights against Silva and Agapova are both like really dangerous really uncontrolled aggressive opponents who will kind of take you anywhere and try to do anything. Mm-hmm. And Moroz was just the much more calm consistent fighter who could ride out hard spots. She also so, had a chip on her shoulder. Yeah. She genuinely yeah. helped her. Okay. She was mean in that fight. Yeah. Yeah. And we all loved it. Everyone clapped. Yes. <laughs> and for for Maya, I, I feel, you know, her boxing game has been tightening up a lot. over. Like, there was a time when she got to the UFC out of Invicta where she was like a one-two in a clinch. Mm-hmm. And that was Maya's whole game was she's going to hit you with a one, two, run you into the cage and just hold you there interminably. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, went through some ups and downs of that um, and really kind of started evolving around the time of the Roxanne Modafferi fight and got herself to a title. And it feels like even after that, she's been trying to become a more deft boxer who can change things up. Mm -hmm. But there's not anything to her game. She's still not anything else to her game. Like, she's still not a damaging puncher. No. And she doesn't do anything other than box. She doesn't have the foot speed to kick, really, with consistency. And there's just not a lot of depth to her actual boxing either. Like, yeah, it's still not a deep boxing game. One twos. Yeah, I mean, truly, it is like, uh, and not even like a real one two. You know, like like mm-hmm. Nate Diaz always throws, like where, yeah, you know, you first you worry about the jab, and then it's really difficult to tell when the backhand is actually coming after it. <laughs> and there's like that that tricky half beat. Yeah, uh, it's the rhythm flick, to it. The flick, the flick jab with the right hand immediately behind. Exactly. It. She doesn't have a one-two in that in that sense where it's sort of a single technique where everything flows yeah. together. Um, it's she has a one and then she has a two. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're discreet. Yeah, and I think this is just a case where by being a better boxer, Morose is just going to get to have a boxing match and she'll be the better boxer. Yeah. She has a jab that she can change up to targets. She has a good right hand that she can land with power. And she's, powerful. she's mm-hmm. And, you know, she can pick her spots well with it. And then she can change things up with some kicks and some wrestling and other things like that. I mean, unfortunately for Moreau, not being a terribly athletic, uh, strong fighter, she tends to have to rely on pushing somebody to the to the cage before she can get a takedown. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, Maya is almost impossible to take down off the cage. Mm -hmm. So it seems unlikely that Morose is going to really easily be able to change things up here. But she doesn't really have to, I don't think. I think we've just seen, like, if Maya gets a step behind in a kickboxing match, yep. she's just going to stay there. She the doesn't have way. another gear. Yeah. So I'm going to take Marina Moroz. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I have very little to add. It's, it's really just that Maya is a perfectly... Maya's a perfectly solid fighter. Mm-hmm. But, she doesn't get hurt. Yeah. She doesn't get, uh, she doesn't ever get dis- deterred from her game. I mean, right. You know, people talk about her, her having one of the most competitive t- fights with Valentina Shevchenko and the, the sole driver of that competitiveness, other than yeah. Shevchenko, uh, sacrifice throwing her, throwing Maya on top of her. Yeah. Was the fact that unlike everybody up to Tyler Santos that Shevchenko has fought, Maya just did not ever get scared of the idea that Shevchenko was going to throw really hard strikes. Yeah. She just stayed in front of her and thought, you know what? If I throw a one-two, maybe it'll land. She was very impressively trusting in her own solidness. But, I mean, Zane, you know I've been playing a lot of chess. Mm -hmm. Solid is what they say about chess openings that are difficult to get at but are not testing. Yeah. They're not difficult to deal with either. Yeah, and I mean that is Maya to a T. Like difficult to break, yes. Um difficult to like find options against, difficult to to defend against, not really. Yeah. I mean it, Shevchenko other than throwing Maya on top of her then otherwise clearly won every round of that fight and it never right. got it never got close again. But it was it was just a moment of like, oh, wow, this person's really not going to they're not going to shrink from the yeah. moment, which is great. It's admirable. Yeah. But she, again, the, the main thing with Maya is and pretty much always has been that she does not have a second year. Yep. And yeah, every fighter that has been able to figure that out has been able to beat her. You know, you doesn't take a bit. It doesn't take a really big you know, it doesn't take a big style clash. It's not like, oh, if you can take her down or, you know, oh, yeah, well, if you can put a jab in her face and stop her from closing distance or whatever. It's like, no, just mm-hmm. if you can if you can land three punches every time she lands two, she's just not going to be able to change that dynamic. Yep. She's the Philidor defense of MMA fighters. That's for my <laughs> chess heads out there. <laughs> that means... So little to me. That was kind of the point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Just, just uh, say, oh, my God, totally Philidor. Yeah, wow. Wow, totally Philidor. <laughs> you, you know what? Man, I've I never thought about it like that. But now that you say it, I totally see it. Yeah, she's got a, she's got a real 2D6 vibe about her, okay. if you know what okay. I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, we're done with that. Um, I opened at plus 130, jumped up to plus 155, currently at plus 152. Marina Moroz opened at minus 150, dropped to minus 180, is currently minus 185. Yeah, I like it. And I'd like to see Moroz go on a little run here. I, like I say, I think she's, yeah. honestly, she looks like she's fighting better than ever. And that yeah. is a division made for somebody hitting their stride to go on a run to title contention. 100%. And I think she could conceivably be a very interesting fight with Shevchenko. Yeah. 
of, of the options we have in this division, li- very limited as they are. I mean, I could yeah. think of I could think of a lot worse, a uh, lot less interesting title challengers than Moreau's, and most of them have already fought Shevchenko. So, and we just saw Grasso and Fioro both totally oh. fail to distinguish themselves from other top contenders that Valentina Shevchenko has beaten. Yeah, Moroz's win over Agapova was already one of the most distinguishing results in this division that wasn't a Shevchenko title fight mm-hmm. that I can think of. All right. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to a bantamweight bout, Vince Morales, Miles Johns. And um, this is a solid fight. Yeah, it's a fun fight. It's a quality bantamweight action bout uh, faced where Vince Morales, we, I mean, we hit. It's the. Uh, do you think Vince Morales is a question to ask or a uh, a man in need of answers? I think it's. I think he's. He, I think he's less of a problem to solve than more of a a person who needs to solve problems. Yes, very much so. Because uh, there are um, thus thus far, yeah, he's he's one of those IQ test fighters where there's just a couple of things you know he's not good at dealing with. Mm-hmm. And if you can just press those obvious advantages, you are going to have a super solid shot of just straight up beating him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest one is the low kicks. Yep. Uh, which Jonathan Martinez exploited beautifully. Yep. Just crushed Morales and expanded on that success to find all kinds of other ways to beat him up. Um, the other thing, though, which has not really shown up as a fight losing flaw, but is a flaw and may very well lose him this fight, she's pretty easy to take down. Yeah. he's Vince Morales is just one of these guys who's... He's very focused on the thing he's good at, which is his boxing. Mm-hmm. And even that is quite limited in yep. scope, because um, usually to see the best boxing that Morales has to offer, you have to see somebody sort of edge their way into beating him Mm-hmm. and pressuring him and then in the third round when they're getting in his face and he's got to fire back you're like oh this dude throws beautiful combinations holy mm-hmm. shit this guy's a good boxer i didn't realize because when he has to take the fight to his opponent he's extremely hesitant he's clearly a natural counterpuncher. yeah and i think he's also just every th- possible threat even if it's not necessarily even if it's not just counterpunching. Yeah. Every perceived threat, he knows what his what his 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 limits are. Yeah. And every perceived threat builds hesitation into his game. This is the problem when why we have so few dedicated counterpunchers in MMA. Mm-hmm. There's just for most people too many threats to deal with. Yeah. Available to your opponents. And um yeah, like if you're your game is going to rely on sort of at least letting the opponent have their slice of the initiative. Like mm-hmm. ideally as a counterpuncher, you are still getting reactions out of the opponent and you are sort of conceptualizing all of your retreats and angle changes as uh, offensive techniques in their own way, where they're designed yeah. to draw the opponent in and you know exactly what you're looking for. Um, but even to the extent that Morales has that, which I don't think he really does, he's, I just think this is a problem in MMA that most counterpunchers become they lean into the they end up falling into the passive side of that approach yeah. because the uh, the beginning idea is 
you're going to, I'm going to let you do the thing you want to do and then prove it's a mistake. And you mm-hmm. can only prove it's a mistake if you could deal with the thing they want to do first, which yeah. leads to you just fixating on all the things they might be trying to land. Yep. And, and uh, yeah, he's, he's pretty rudimentary as a wrestler. Like, yeah, he's, he, yeah, he's a very old school wrestle boxer. Very much like, so. Yeah. Here's the overhand. Here's the double leg. When I try to get aggressive on the ground, I'm likely to let you up because I'm not a positional control grappler. Right. And, uh, you know, if I have to get too deep into combinations, I'll start to lose track of my defensive posture. Yeah. And I will uh, and my balance. But the only way to really beat Miles Johns is to go after him. Yeah. And that's the thing that Vince Morales is just not good at. Yep. You give him. Go on, go on. Uh, so you give him a blank slate to work with and John's will, he he has a lot of options to go to and he'll go to them. He will plug you with overhands. He will change up to double legs. He will hit you with low kicks. He mm-hmm. will keep you guessing about all the levels. Well, he can increasingly throw some nice straight punches too. I mean, John's yeah. has definitely improved his striking. He has, absolutely. So, But you got to go after him. You got yep. to stay on the gas. You got to do what John Castaneda did. Yep. Um, and even Castaneda had to walk through some fire for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're going to be more passive, then it's it's going to be a lot harder to deal with even the most basic of switch-ups that Johns is going to present you with. Yeah. He's he's fast, he's strong, he hits hard, and yeah, it right-hander takedown. You figure it out in the meantime. Now, maybe this is this does have the look of a fight where if he, if he doesn't finish Morales, Morales might come alive in the third round. Sure. Because sure. there's only one basic switch up to really figure out. Yeah. And given enough time, you're going to figure it out. You're going to start reading the cues of when it's the right hand and when it's an actual level change. And Morales is perfectly capable of punishing those things. Yeah. It's not and like John leaves himself in a good position when he lets his right hand go. And John's as a very classic wrestle boxer, like all his fight, no, none of his fights end in the first round because he is never set on doing any one thing. Right. You know, he's never going to hit you really hard and hurt you and then keep hitting you. Yeah. He's going to hit you really hard. And if you're hurt, he's going to take you down. Yep. And then when you're on the ground, he's going to try to posture up and do something and he's going to let you back up. And any, any success for him is is purely an opportunity to then transition into the other kind of success. Yeah. And so, yeah, his fights all go long. So Vince Morales very well may have the opportunity to rally back in this, but, but John, but John's is the thing is, is he can, he can probably afford to just be more passive in the third round when Morales would need mm-hmm. to come alive to beat him. And even then, Morales already hesitant to pressure. Johns will just hit a reactive takedown. Doesn't have to finish. Yeah. Just something to make Morales hesitant to tie him up, to burn time off the clock. Yeah. Um, So I got to pick Miles Jones. It really says something in the UFC that it's really just very poor athletes that Morales beats because once the fight gets late and they start to slow down, then he has a whole bunch of advantages. Yeah. But without that, he doesn't. 
you know, even even good late rallies don't turn a fight in his favor. Odds on the bout. Johns is the favorite, opened at minus 160, got up as high as minus 139, and is currently back down at minus 159. That brings us to another Bantamweight bout, Kevin Natividad, Ricky Tercios. And um, this is what you get. You win the Ultimate Fighter? Yeah. Was it worth you know, five weeks of free meals. <laughs> to... Literally won what used to be the flagship program. And here yeah. you are buried on a fight night prelims. You got the invitation to the prelims to fight the least interesting talent they can bring against you. Yep. Yeah. That's um, what you get when winning the ultimate fighter doesn't uh, get you an actually a significant paycheck by the yeah. way <laughs> where you come in at 15, you know, at 20 to start like an LFA champ. Ooh. Yeah. You know, saddle up. You're, you're, you're getting yeah. tested right away. You win the ultimate fighter. Maybe it's a blessing. Yeah. You're, you're making so little money. That it's true. <laughs> you just fight a bunch of nobodies. Yep. Uh, and that's really kind of what Tercios needs too. Sure. Because, yeah. His game is a trash fire. Uh-huh. It is. And unfortunately, like, I think it's the kind of thing where if he, if his coaches hadn't, if he and his coaches hadn't recognized that, mm-hmm. it might be easier for him to win a bunch of fights right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's out. Who's he? He's a t- team alpha male. Okay. But it's clear from his last fight that his coaches realize that he's got big problems mm-hmm. because he's got this sort of Keith Jardine jerkiness to him Yeah. at bantamweight where people aren't slow and they're not uncoordinated and they're going to see you stepping in and throwing awkward strikes at an off rhythm. And they're just going to hit you really hard all the time. By the way, why has, uh, why has our, our friend Ben Cohn not uh, already signed a sort of a deal with Keith Jardine to release a special edition Herky Jerky? That's a good question. Yeah, we should put an that obvious business decision. Make demands. I'll just start asking him for it. I'll be like, "Where's Keith? Where, where's my Keith Jardine signature herky jerky?" <laughs> Leave him to figure out how to how to meet that demand head yeah. on. Keith Jardine himself should do that. Honestly. Yeah, he Look should. Look at all the success Dustin Poirier has had with hot sauce. That's right, and Dustin Poirier is not even spicy. <laughs> Like, <laughs> not at all actually mild sauce would have been a very deliverable dustin poirier <laughs> item dustin poirier brand ketchup <laughs> yeah that would have been awesome <laughs> um but yeah tercios like he you know he had this very busy broken rhythm i'm gonna get in your face and you know treat you like a wing chun dummy Mm -hmm. style to him 
that would then like he'd launch himself at you. And if you took, if you didn't like getting overwhelmed by quick slapping punches, mm-hmm. you could take him down and he would tangle with you on the ground off his back. And it, it's the kind of, uh, you know, high risk, low reward style that, like I said, it was a fundamentally broken thing, but it also made all of his fights really fun and relied on his durability and ability to set a pace to break people. And it won him the ultimate fighter. Mm-hmm. And then he came out in his last bout against journey. Newsome, was it? Uh, or no, what? I'm in Zahabi. Right. And his coaches were telling him the whole time, like, don't go crazy, be controlled, be restrained. And you could hear him say, like, yes, coach. Yes, you know, I hear you. I understand. And then he'd stomp his feet and do key eyes and slap his hands together and get doubled up on landing 11% of his strikes. Yeah. Because he has no sense of distance or timing. Yeah. The hobby threw 105 strikes to Tercios's 235 and landed twice as many. Tercios de- desperately needs to talk to any of the non strictly team alpha male associated coaches that all the good team alpha male fighters work with on the side. Yeah. Because team alpha male, as a gym for striking technique, is, let's be honest, famously bad. Infamously yes. Bad at turning out skilled strikers. Uh, yes, and he's just a mess. Yeah, I mean, telling him to be controlled, like there, there is often, I think, a fundamental misunderstanding among the alpha male guys uh, as to like what the sort of psychological components of their fighters actually are. Yeah, um, or how style matchups work. I mean, I've I know I've told told this anecdote multiple times, but I will never ever forget the fact that. When uh, I don't even is Justin Buckles still there? I don't think so. He he's one of many people that had like a big public meltdown split with the team. I right. Think. Yeah. And then in his case, it's hard to even blame Uriah Faber because he kind of went off the deep end. Yeah. But uh, that Justin Buckles' idea for Josh Emmett against Mirsad Bektic was to do what Darren Elkins did to beat Mirsad Bektic, as if a yeah. that was a replicable result in any meaningful sense and B Darren Elkins is anything like Josh Emmett. Yeah. Uh, they, they're just like, Oh, well he can also wrestle. That's the thing we do. He should do that. It's like, yeah, maybe just go out there and sleep the dude. He doesn't like being hit. Um, yeah. That that wasn't obvious is a, a terrible sign. And of course, Dr. Patrick Wyman once when a, took a trip there, saw them working with like Paige Van Zandt and was honestly shocked at like just how disorganized, and sort of meaningless a lot of the striking training was just like useless pad drills that clearly didn't show up in any of pages fights um anyway yeah this is all a long way of saying that ricky tercios is sort of uh indicative of what training only at alpha male does for you if you're not an incredible athlete which he's not yeah and it's all it's just i'm like kevin natividad is a very beatable fighter because he has a very singular idea of how he wants to fight. Yeah. And it's a very dangerous way to fight. 
I mean, it's one of my favorite ways to see fighters fight. He loves to get into the pocket and land a shot, slip a shot, and land another shot. Right. He wants to be an elusive pocket combination puncher. You know, he has he has taken the general ideas of the you know fight like Robbie Lawler training mm-hmm. manual mm-hmm. and said, "I'm gonna be this dude." And like, it does not work for most people. It is an incredibly difficult way to fight. And a lot of the what made Robbie Lawler successful was being incredibly fast and incredibly powerful. Yeah, and, and incredibly having, insane. Yeah, and having tremendous defense. Yeah, the real secret sauce of all Robbie Lawler's success, all those moments where he got tagged for being so aggressive. Yeah, and he wouldn't have survived without his defense. All the time he spent pressuring and just not being easy to hit clean. Like, there's so much depth of skill to Robbie Lawler in addition to the insane athleticism and insane, you know. Yeah insanity yeah and it you know it's it's hard to replicate it's really cool if you can do it but it is hard to replicate and it's walked uh natividad into three knockout losses because yeah. you're right there in the pocket in front of big punchers trying to you know slip and return fire you're right there in front of big punchers mm-hmm. you know but ricky tercios is not a big puncher and he's barely um, any kind of puncher. Half the things he throws are not technically punches. Yeah. <laughs> Slaps. And I'm not convinced that he is prepared to answer Natividad's a pretty regular aggression. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna pick Natividad. He knows exactly what kind of fight he wants to have. It's not an easy fight. It's almost certainly gonna be a very close fight. Um, but Natividad isn't otherwise easy to control or, you know, catch out just by out wrestling him or out grappling him. Yeah. He's just, he's got one kind of fight he wants to have and it's a tough fight to have, but he has a fight he wants to have. Nativid, uh, Tercios does not appear to have that right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to bet against it. That you know, if you're not if you're not out there prepared to be aggressive and prepared to work, if you don't have the technique to be elusive, and you're training with people who are telling you to be elusive and to not be aggressive, mm-hmm. like what are you left with? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not much. No, A very uncomfortable middle ground. Yeah, so. I don't like it, but I'm not going to take Tercios after that Zahavi fight. Mm-hmm. That was just miserable. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I mean, I would have been, a, I actually came in a little concerned that um, Natividad might take the wrong lessons away from his last two results. Sure, could be. He's, he's just, you know, this is a young fighter who's had two people completely clean his clock, one after you know, uh, uh, more or less three very tough rounds. Mm-hmm. And then one just instantly melted him. Yep. But, and... 
it actually happened to Natividad. I mean, that's the way he loses, basically. Yeah. Is he gets in there, he tries to scare people, and if they're not scared, they knock him out. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think Tercios would be scared, but neither do I think he'll be particularly comfortable, and I very much doubt he's capable of knocking Natividad out. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he's the other kind of alpha male fighter. Um, yeah. In that he's like, clearly he's dealt with a lot of crazy wrestlers. He can scramble. He's creative. He's funky. But he's not actually really an overwhelming offensive wrestler. No, he's a pretty bad one. He's, yeah. he, he doesn't have a lot of core strength, so he gets doubled over on his shots really easily. And then yeah. he it's really hard to finish from a point where your ass is higher than your head. Yeah. Whereas Natividad dealt with the uh, takedowns of Miles Johns really well, actually. Yeah. Like I say, Natividad... The functional parts of his game around the fight he wants to have are actually pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Like, he wouldn't be a bad fighter if he had a, an, another idea of how to fight, but he's decided, I mean, he's basically just a little Frank Frank Camacho. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I love Frank Camacho. I'm president of the Frank Camacho fan club. But that was, you know, Frank got drummed out of the UFC pretty relentlessly. Mm-hmm. For just going in and waiting and be like, yeah, I'll have a firefight right in front of you. What are you going to do? Oh, I, I'm I'm out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. So I I just there are still some fights that he's that that's going to win him. And I think this is one of them unless I, until I see more out of Tercios than right. That's a hobby fight. You know, like I say, mm-hmm. I think even the terribly ugly back and forth brawl that you know he had no control over whatsoever against Brady Highstand was a more promising kind of fight. Absolutely. Yeah, at least it showed just a relentless aggression and Yeah. Um <clears throat> yeah, it's almost like if he was still you could still trust that that Ricky Tercius would show up. Then I would just be like, yeah, he'll he'll he, something will shake out of it for him. Right. At least you'd call that 50-50. Yeah. Um, yeah, now that but he's, you're landing 11 percent of your strikes on Iman Zahabi. Yeah, now now that he's he's been clay weeded. Yeah, by the Jackson Wink style geniuses at Team Alpha Male. Uh, it's hard to have faith in him as a fighter. Yep. Tercios is the favorite here. Opened at minus 185. Currently up at minus 160. Tividad opened at plus 160. He's currently at plus 131. Should be a coin flip, honestly. Mm-hmm. Natividad's chin, Tercios's, uh everything else. <laughs> Just not a fight that should inspire any confidence all the way mm-hmm. around. I mean, yeah, Tercios does have more of a chin, I think, than Natividad. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's the one thing he's got going for him. It's It's basically been the glue that has kept his dysfunctional style together all these years. Mm-hmm. All right. That brings us to a wound strawweight bout. Vanessa Demopoulos, Maria Oliveira. And, um... Uh-huh. No, yeah, I forgot. You get the lead on this, so I don't have to try <laughs> yeah. to come up with something to say yet. Yeah. <laughs> this is... This is the bottom of the barrel, folks. <laughs> um... You know, you that sound you hear, that's the scrape of iron <laughs> on wood. Um... And and the the sludgy sound of dregs of whatever the hell this barrel contained when it was still full, yeah. Maria Oliveira, grog. Yeah, this is a groggy fight if I've ever seen one. I'm feeling groggy just thinking about it. 
Um, Maria Oliveira is scrappy and not much else. She appears to be incredibly easy to take down. Yep. Is that enough for Vanessa Demopoulos to win? Maybe. Yeah, I'm not picking it, but you could be. Maybe. I mean, is Demopoulos a good wrestler? No. No. But she's pretty strong. Yep. She went in there and... She tries hard. She certainly tries hard. She got completely wrecked by Silvana Gomez-Suarez and somehow managed to scrape out a win on the ground because Gomez-Suarez is one of many fighters in this division who just doesn't really have a ground game. Yeah. Um... Otherwise, Oliveira is super busy. Mm-hmm. So as long as this is on the feet, like she's she leans really awkwardly. She constantly gets off balance and loses her stance. Um, but she does have the instinct to fire back when you get in her face. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she'll run away, run away, run away. And then you're really chasing her. And then she'll just uncork three, four insanely loopy slappy punches but she will fire back ag- aggressively when she has no other choice um and if you're not pressuring her then she's quite active she's comfortable yep. just keeping kicks and jabs and looping hooks and everything going and, and she does tend to put combinations together so yeah the question is basically just i mean tabitha ricci took her down five times and just sort of smushed her mm-hmm. so like if demopolis lucks out and gets a takedown She's an aggressive submission hunter. Maybe she makes something happen, but it does feel sort of like the grappler's version of a puncher's chance. Cause even if she yeah. is going for those subs, she's probably going to let Mo- Oliveira scramble yep. in, in the process. And, um, let's just double check. Has Oliveira been subbed? She's been arm barred twice. So there's no guarantees about anything. <laughs> And yeah. every win on her record is against somebody with a 500 or worse, oh, except God. for Vale somebody named Valeska Machado, and then her last fight in the UFC, Gloria DePaula. Over the similarly not very good Gloria DePaula. Yeah. Um. Good lord. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a meaningless record when you actually bother to look at it. Right. Oh my God. I don't know. Um, just to keep it fun, I'm going to go with Demopolis. Okay, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, I- I'm going to go with Maria Oliveira just off activity. Yeah, Demopolis when she gets her ideal fight, it is a very slow paced staring contest where she gets to un- uncork the occasional huge overhand. Yeah, and then she'll charge in and try to hit a takedown and transition to a submission. And yeah. She could land a huge overhand. She could land a submission. But if it's if she doesn't knock out or submit Oliveira, then I'm just going to think this is a really scrappy fight where Oliveira is probably going to do more. Yeah, but man, all the other women who have done that successfully to Demopolis are just so much better than Oliveira. True, true. Truly. Like J.J. Yeah. Aldrich, Lupita Godinez, Corey McKenna. These are all good fighters. Yeah, and she did beat Sam Hughes, who is at the very least a pretty like and, and strong and hard headed fighter. Yeah, and she's kept it close for at least portions with a couple of those women. I don't know. I just I have zero faith in Oliveira. Like she is yeah. scrappy, but she's she's really shaky too. But yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna stick with Oliveira. You stick with Demopolis. Sure, flip a coin. Yeah. Odds on the bout. Oliveira is the favorite. 
opened at minus 150, currently minus 120. Demopolis opened at plus 130, currently down at minus 102. That's fine. It just it should be a dead even bout. Mm-hmm. Um, no favorites here. Like Demopolis is also five foot two with a sixty-two mm-hmm. inch reach. So if Oliveira can be on her bike even a little at five six with a sixty-nine inch reach, like it, it, the opportunity to keep Demopolis off of her the whole time is right there. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a bantamweight, another bantamweight fight, Brady Heistand, Fernie Garcia. And um, I'm a little, I, I mean, he likes to fight hard and he's aggressive, so I'm not mad about it or anything, but I'm a little surprised that they kept Brady Heistand off or on, on in the UFC considering he lost the Ultimate Fighter finale to Ricky Tercios. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently they've they've broken from their new tradition. Uh, it's been overwhelmed by their never-ending need for placeholders. Yeah. So he's getting another shot, and he's getting it against a guy who, um, yeah, is, you know, very much a contender series dude. Fernie Garcia punches a good game when he's got somebody in front of him that doesn't really know what they're doing. Or, I mean, you know, in this case, Joshua Weems, who went and lost his debut recently, somebody who will just go after him aggressively. Uh, but also, if you look at the rest of Fernie Garcia's record, there are a lot of split decisions on there. Uh-huh. He is a lot like uh, Vince Morales. Mm-hmm. He's got a boxing game. And that's what he wants to do is to use that boxing game. And a lot of other things can get him to not box. Mm -hmm. He lost his debut to uh, Journey Newsom, who is a pretty chinny uh, bantamweight. And really just he got kicked apart and outfought by Newsom from Mm -hmm. a distance. Because all he wanted to do was step in and punch, and Newsom was clever enough to not do that. High stand is probably just going to go rush right at him and blitz him. Yeah. Which could mean that he gets knocked out instantly. Uh, or it could mean that he gets a bunch of takedowns and takes the fight away from uh, Garcia. I think that seems more likely to me. Yeah, that Cody Freeman bout that uh garcia lost Mm -hmm. back in lfa like freeman does not look like as good a wrestler or as natural uh, an athlete as high stand or as natural wrestler i wouldn't say athlete but as natural a wrestler as aggressively single-minded and uh he got some takedowns on garcia slowed him down landed some big punches when they were out at range together because Garcia is so single-minded that you can pretty easily catch him. And we've seen, and Garcia's had a bunch of really close, ugly fights with people that are not nearly necessarily as technical as him, just because mm-hmm. all he's doing is one thing. So I'll take high stand to get the gut out the win here in a fight that 
it'll probably be pretty hard for him, honestly. And I won't be surprised if he starts to slow down as it goes on and Garcia gets a few big moments late. Yeah, for sure. I think that's honestly, it looks like the likeliest outcome is that Mm -hmm. high stand just sort of, I mean, yeah, just, just the passivity is just an especially bad trait to have against an aggressive wrestler. Yeah. Um, just letting them line up on you and shoot from the right distance and, um, and, and then, you know, in future having to cope with defensive thinking when you know that might happen usually is just a classic MMA thing where it just completely hinders most people's striking. I think high stand is aggressive and athletic enough to, uh, to keep, uh, to keep Garcia, um, to keep him out of the fight too long for him to, to catch up. It's really too bad for high stand though. Cause he's 23. He's a pretty good wrestler, pretty decent athlete, aggressive, mm-hmm. everything you'd want. Sick just two fighter. <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> just we are seeing the complete man right here. <laughs> That's one of the funniest things you've done recently. The, Sick jitsu fighter. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I mean, it's just like who at that camp has ever changed over the course of their career? I mean, I guess Chiesa changed weight classes. Yeah. <laughs> changed weight classes. Yeah. He he learned to lean in to the sick jitsu thing over time. He really did become a lot more aggressive. Yeah. Which but is the main main thing for those fighters. Like his boxing has never No got... one has ever technically developed at that camp. Yeah. Ever. So they just don't they don't think about it. No. Technique is for cowards. <laughs> That's right. Fight, fighting is about balls. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, I'll I'll t- I'll pick high stand here, but I mean both of these dudes really could use some like expanded ideas of <laughs> how to develop their games. That I mean, Bernie's at he's at Fortis MMA. Like, yeah, he has to figure it out. He stands a much better chance of improving yeah. and leaning into what how his style is supposed to work than anyone yeah. at Sig Jitsu. Yeah. So, we'll see. All right. That brings us to... Oh, the odds on that fight. Um, Where is it? High stand is the favorite here. Opened at minus 135. Dropped to minus 155. Currently down at minus 166. Garcia opened at plus 105, jumped up to plus 125, is coming up at plus 136. All right, and that brings us to a woman's flyweight bout, Natalia Silva, Teresa Bleda. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, take it away. I Ro- mean, River. this is this is a cool fight, honestly. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, at least I'm glad to have these fighters here. I don't know if okay. the matchup, the matchup itself doesn't make a lot of sense. No. But both the fighters are pretty cool uh, by the standards of women's flyweight, certainly. Sure. I think I think we might be in a situation where in, in two, three years when Valentina is gone, or, you know, maybe maybe not that long, you know, but whenever Valentina departs, 
Um, my prediction, uh, killed by ricocheting bullet after shooting a disused, <laughs> just shooting a disused uh, rust bucket of a former Soviet block car at some Central Asian gun range. Oh, I'm gonna, I thought you were going to say after shooting at a, a Prussian prince. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, after attacking an archduke, an archduke, yeah. this gunned down by whatever, uh, by whatever, like the archduke of uh, of Lithuania's equivalent of the Secret Services. Yeah, and um, we may re- realize at that point that the division has the the bottom tier of the division has sort of quietly gotten kind of good. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I've said for a while that I think that it's on its way. Women's flyweight is. Uh, it is a division that I expect to be pretty good, honestly. Yeah, like in some ways, they, it's a victim getting, of. Yeah, go on. Uh, they're getting a regular stream of solid athletes, right? Who are building good fundamental bases. Yeah, and there's like a healthy uh, collection of what are all former contenders are all essentially gatekeepers now because Valentina has cleaned out the division. Mm-hmm. But um, in in some ways, it's just a victim of how like UFC rankings and UFC matchmaking works, and of course the fact that you have such a dominant champion as Shevchenko sitting on top. Yeah. So nothing that doesn't feel like there's any meaningful momentum forward. But um, Jasmine Jasudovicius was a very good addition, mm-hmm. and Natalia Silva kind of beat her ass. Yeah. Which I did not see coming. Mm-mm. Um, she's wild but in a very dangerous and and sort of surprisingly thoughtful way Lots yeah of i have a lot of mm-hmm. oh sorry i was gonna say i have a lot of hope for what she can do with her style the more time and polish she can put on it exactly yeah because because while her her technique leaves a lot to be desired she clearly mm-hmm. has lots of good ideas mm-hmm. and she has the speed and the the, the like aggression and confidence to go for them so yeah. You see a lot of like sharp jabs, which are then disappointingly followed by like jerking your head straight back or whatever. <laughs> but then you see her land the same jab and the opponent slips it. And here comes a lightning fast left high kick. Yeah. Um, all of these little things exploiting the reactions. She is watching her opponents, even if they're the ones pressuring, gauging their reactions and using them against them really proactively. Mm-hmm. Um, she's fast. She's powerful. And uh, she's capable of dealing with the grappling game, too. I mean, that was perhaps the most impressive thing is I I would have watched the first three minutes of that fight with uh, Jessica DeVisius. And, yeah, she was kind of lighting her up. Mm -hmm. But Jessica DeVisius's main thing is not her striking. She gets by with the level of striking she has because she's big. Um, And as soon as she tied up, Silva just like either took her down or countered all of her takedowns and crushed her whenever they got on the ground. Yeah. Really impressive. And then Teresa Bleda is um, like a Hulk. Yeah, absolutely a Hulk. She's big and strong, which really helps her out because, um, well, first of all, I'll say she hits shot takedowns. I mean, that's, yes, that that's is a, really good. <laughs> that's a huge thing, a huge difference between her and Jasuda Vicious, who... Yes. Jesudovicius has always depended on being able to win the scrambling battle after getting to the ground. Yeah, and and her takedowns all come from the clinch, and they're frequently very messy. And yeah, um, it didn't work for her against Silva, who just like kept her whizzer. 
Yeah. And just won the scrambles with nice, uh, controlled, uh, nice controlled grips. But, um, yeah, usually it works for Jason DeVicius because the, she can afford to have the takedowns be kind of messy and sloppy because she's going to win the scramble and uh-huh. dominate in top position. Bleda has a shot takedown. She can time it well. She's strong. That's a very good sign for her as a prospect. Yep. But she really, in a Jason DeVicius kind of way, has had to rely on her size and strength. Yeah. Because... She's really aggressive and loses position a lot. Mm-hmm. And at least 70% of the sweeps I've seen her hit are just strongman sweeps. Yeah. Like just letting somebody get fully to side control and just hulking them over and ending up in top side control yourself. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's a particularly good sign against Silva, which is why I should correct saying this is a good fight because it looks like a gimme for Silva. Um, but I like the fact that Blade is here. I wish they'd matched her better for her debut, but she certainly looks like somebody with potential in this division. Yeah, I'm a little worried, I'll admit, because I think Blade is a lot stronger an athlete than Jesu Devisius. Yeah, she's she's a beast. And she's like 5'9". Yeah. So she is definitely big. And I I do wonder how much of what we saw out of Natalia Silva is like, down to Jesus not being a very good athlete. Yeah. Because her fight, Natalia Silva's fight with Marina uh, Rodriguez, like she just got a lot of how she got beaten that fight was Rodriguez just taking her down. Yeah. Putting her against the cage, ripping her to the mat, and slowing her down. Well, sounds like you think it is a good fight. Yeah, I think I'm gonna I, I, I think I'm gonna take Blada here. I'm gonna take the way bigger, stronger fighter who can shoot a shot takedown. Mm-hmm. I think that Natalia Silva's just a she I like them both. I, I think they're both fun fighters, but I think Natalia Silva got a a little bit of a benefit of a, a softer than you would think landing in the UFC, given that Jasuda yeah. beat Kay Hansen and that made Jasuda Jus- Vicious look pretty good. I mean, I but, thought Jasubisius looked pretty good just when I looked at her film when she got signed. I mean, yeah, I still think it's a mean, it's a very impressive win. I mean, Jasubisius is. is used to bullying people and winning scrambles, and I think you're right that it was a more forgiving style matchup than we realized looking yeah. back at it. Kay Hansen uh, has fallen off something steep because yeah, it's pretty clear that her ever since getting out from under her apparently crushingly awful family, yeah. She is not actually maybe that into MMA. Maybe that wasn't her dream. Yeah, but I'll say that fight with Marina Rodriguez was five years ago now. Yeah. Um, And Silva's very quick and dangerous, too. I mean, even on Marina Rodriguez, who's also huge, she kicked her in the goddamn head, like, instantly. (laughs) She's got a great head kick. And my, my concern with Blada is that... Um, I think her best takedowns tend to be reactive coming forward. She's very hittable. She has uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. really no defense to speak of. Uh, and in fact, often worse because she's so interested in getting her wrestling that particularly with kicks, she reaches for all of them. Yeah. She's going to get kicked in the dome at least once uh, before this fight shakes out the way it, it, it was meant to. Yeah, and then at the beginning of each round, Silva's going to move around a ton, and Blade is going to have to track her down all over again. I I'll take a a chance on the quick striker here. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with the big wrestler, especially in the small uh, cage at the apex. Yeah, oh yeah, true. That's a good point. All right. Well, hey, I, I think it's a it's a fairly interesting matchup, honestly, buried way down here at the bottom. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if either what woman can really keep their momentum going. And could be too true outcome, but I think it's both of them are raw enough in the right ways that we might see a bit of both of the two fights. Yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Natalia Silva if she loses this fight end up down at flat at straw weight. Yeah, true. She's only five four. Yep. And she's she she doesn't she looks she she doesn't look as trim as the other uh, women at the top of either division. Then again, it's often it's harder for women to lose that. It is. It is. I'm not saying extra water weight and body fat compared to men. Um, The other thing, the other thing, though, is maybe like it just means as is always my recommendation. If you lose this fight because you get out wrestled by a wrestling Hulk, um, improve your wrestling. Yeah, because I mean, definitely I, her main advantage at this division is she's really quick. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think she should go down to it. I just won't be surprised if she ends up down there. Right. At the same yeah. time, Teresa Bleda is really probably leaning on, like, how old is she? Let's see. Let's see. She is 20. Oh, my this goodness. A woman who will be a bantamweight within the next three years. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no. no way that she is staying at 125 pounds. She does have a more unusual – she's got one of those hulkier women's builds. I'll say that. Yeah. She's very heavily muscled. Maybe she can just – she'll have the advantage of just being able to cut weight better than a lot of these other women. But but she'll end up – I didn't realize she was so young. I mean – Yeah. Almost certainly she will outgrow flyweight sooner or later. Yeah. All right. Uh, odds on the bout. Natalia Silva is the favorite. Open at plus 100. Dropped to minus 200. Is currently up at minus 170. Teresa Blade opened at minus 120. Jumped up to plus 170. Is currently back down at plus 139. So those odds trending more and more towards even, which doesn't surprise me at all, as I would assume that gamblers are starting to get a better and better look at the fact that one of these fighters is five inches taller than the other. Mm-hmm. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at TheZaneSign. You can find Connor on Twitter at BoxingBush. You can find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast on Bloody Elbow Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good sh- places. We will see you in two weeks' time for USC on ESPN Thompson vs. Holland. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Adios. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, The Hey Not The Face Podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.